We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. What's up and welcome back to another history episode of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, a brief history of New York Yankees captains. If you Google list of Yankees captains, you're going to get different results based on which list you click on, which is weird because lists should be pretty straightforward, but they're not, and it's not in this case. Back in 2003, the Yankees said Jeter was the 11th captain in team history, but today Baseball Almanac has 13 names, Wikipedia has 15, and Baseball Reference says there's 16. I'd assume we should probably trust the Yankees, but honestly, it does not seem like they acknowledge the complete information. In 1982, when Greg Nettles was named captain, the organization was under the impression that Garrick and Munson had been the only two captains in team history. They learned that was not true. As recently as 2012, they still reported Jeter as the 11th captain, and I have not been able to find anything more current officially from the team on their website or anywhere that lists Jeter as anything but the 11th captain. So who's right? The early years are so convoluted. Tenures of each guy are different depending on which list you look at, and even the lists that have the same number of people on them don't even have the same names. 
Just a quick aside before I get deeper into it. When I chose this topic, I did not realize that there was so much contradictory information out there. I even made a spreadsheet to try and track each list and where the discrepancies are. Did not expect that. So that's what we're about to get into. Buckle up. I came across research by Howard W. Rosenberg, who is a baseball historian and the biographer of Cap Anson, the 19th century Hall of Famer and longtime captain manager whose nickname derived from the word captain. Rosenberg says there have been 15 Yankees captains. He bases this on numerous articles found from the 1900 and 1910s when he was doing research for his books. His lists, and all lists except the Yankees, start in 1903 with Clark Griffith. The Yankees list, however, starts in 1912 with Hal Chase. This is right around the time that the organization went from being called the Highlanders to the Yankees, so I get that. Maybe they decided that we're going to start acknowledging captains when we were officially called the Yankees. The only problem is that they didn't officially become the Yankees until 1913, so why are they starting with Chase in 1912? In the early 1900s, having a captain was necessary. The rule book singled out a captain as an active player, but not the manager, who had the right to argue with umpires. So if we're going by the rule book and looking at the years before the team was actually called the Yankees, again, which even the Yankees list does, then it seems like Griffith was the first because that is when the franchise had its beginnings. Griffith was a pitcher and an outfielder who held the position for three seasons before he was named manager, and he was replaced with Norm Kidd Elberfeld as captain. Then Elberfeld replaced Griffith as manager during the 1908 season, and Willie Keeler was named captain for 1909. Now keep in mind that players were often managers during this time. It was a position one and the same in a lot of cases. Then there's a gap from 1910 to 1912, which is when the Yankees list starts with Hal Chase. Rosenberg's research indicates that Chase actually began his captaincy in 1910, even though the Yankees only list him for 1912. Hal Chase was not a good guy. He was accused of throwing games, and he never played baseball after 1919, which was also the year of the Black Sox scandal, when he was ordered to be released from the Giants by the National League president when it was found that he accepted a $500 check from a known gambler. But of course, that isn't even where the lists sync up. According to Baseball Reference, Frank Chance was named both manager and captain for the 1913 season, which is confusing because I thought the rulebook stated they had to be distinguished. That's not the only contradiction with a manager-captain overlap, though, because Griffith is listed as manager on baseball reference starting in 1903, supposedly when he also served as captain. In the middle of the 1913 season, Hal Chase, who was no longer captain, was traded to the Senators for Raleigh Zeter, who was subsequently named captain, no other list other than baseball reference has Zeter's name as captain. Rosenberg agrees, though, that Chance was named both manager and captain, but his list has a guy named Roy Hartzell as being captain somewhere within 1911 to 1916. He is not more specific than that. I guess he could not narrow it down any more than that. For 1914, the lists finally sync up, though. Roger Peckinpah held the position from 1914 until he was traded to the Red Sox in a deal that returned Everett Scott, among other players, in 1921. So to recap, the Yankees list has 11 names starting with Hal Chase in 1912. Baseball Almanac has 13 names, the 11 that the Yankees have, plus Griffith and Elberfeld. The historian Rosenberg has 15 names, 13 in Baseball Almanac, plus Frank Chance and Roy Hartzell. Wikipedia has 15, but they list Willie Keeler instead of Hartzell. 
and Baseball Reference has the most names. They have 16. The name they add is Raleigh Zeter. Okay, deep breaths, everyone. In 2007, the Yankees head of communications, Jason Zillow, responded to questions about the discrepancies between their information and Rosenberg's, saying, Combining our rich and storied history with a devoted and intelligent fan base lends itself to, on occasion, differing interpretations of records and facts. While we never dismiss input such as Mr. Rosenberg's, we use a countless number of resources to provide the most complete and accurate statistical facts and figures that are humanly possible. So I guess just agree to disagree? What it really comes down to is the Yankees don't count captains before they were called the Yankees, which again is fine. But the problem is that they count other things, because if you go on Yankees.com and navigate their history pages and look at their list of managers, they go all the way back to 1903, Clark Griffith. Again, confusing because he was supposed to be captain at that time, but they go back to 1903. So I don't know why they don't go back to 1903 for all things like captain. I don't know. Honestly, I was going to just gloss over all of that and get to the names you recognize, but I ended up finding it fascinating that the lists differ. Like, I don't know why we didn't know about this. I don't know why I didn't know about this. Maybe you listening knew about the discrepancy here. If you just stumbled across Baseball Reference or Wikipedia or one of these other lists, you may have found this discrepancy. But I just found it interesting and and kind of an important thing that isn't really talked about. Okay, now to my favorite thing that I found out in this research. Babe Ruth was named captain in 1922, but stripped of his title after five days because he got in a fight with a fan. On May 25th, 1922, the Babe attacked a fan at the Polo Grounds when he was on his way back to the dugout after being thrown out at second base. Ruth said the fan, quote, called me a low-down bum and other names that got me mad. Apparently mad enough that he went into the stands to fight him, and he was fined and stripped of his title. So, the Babe had a Ron Artest moment, which is exactly why, despite Babe obviously being their best player, you can't have a personality like that as your captain. Everett Scott, who was a just a light-hitting shortstop, replaced Ruth as captain and held the position until he was traded in 1925. Then for 10 years, the Yankees did not have an official captain. In 1935, the Iron Horse, Lou Gehrig, was named captain. At that point, Gehrig was 32 years old and had been with the team for over a decade. But the Babe was also there, which is probably why they waited until after Ruth left after the 34 season to name Gehrig captain. Lou Gehrig was the perfect guy to be captain. MVP-level player, calm personality, never did anything off the field to get him in trouble, and everybody on the team, everybody in the league, respected him. He remained captain until his retirement in 1939, and following his death in 1941, Joe McCarthy declared that the Yankees would never have a captain again. Never say never, especially when someone like George Steinbrenner is going to buy the franchise eventually. When George bought the Yankees in 1973, they were in the middle of one of the worst stretches in team history. He knew that nobody, legends like DiMaggio, Mantle, Barra, Whitey Ford, had been named captain for over 30 years when he named Thurman Munson captain in 1976. He felt Munson was a good guy and somebody that Lou Gehrig would have been proud of. In 1976, that was also Munson's MVP year. He had won the Rookie of the Year in 1970, and he was, unequivocally, considered the heart and soul of the 1970s Yankees, even if he wasn't always their best player. But, but he was still pretty damn good. Then there was tragedy. Munson died in a plane crash on August 2nd, 1979. 
And it was eerie because that meant the last two Yankees captains had died tragically way before they should have. Steinbrenner immediately announced number 15 would be retired and a plaque would be made for Munson in Monument Park. And he also dubbed Munson and Garrick's widows the first ladies of the Yankees. Honestly, it would have made sense if the Yankees captaincy stopped there, like it was have thought to have stopped with Garrick, and I think nobody would have raised an eyebrow at that. But three years after Munson's death, Greg Nettles took over the role prior to the 1982 season. When asked for comment, Nettles said, I have no idea what a captain does. He also said it was a great honor, but I just found that quote really funny. Nettles was a solid player, but he wasn't a Yankee lifer. He played for them during his prime years from 1973 to 1982, and at the time of his appointment, he was the most veteran player on the team. But still, it's kind of an odd choice looking back. After the announcement, manager Bob Lemon denied that there was any ulterior motive. He said that it had nothing to do with losing the World Series, that it had not been imposed by Steinbrenner, and that it had no connection with Reggie Jackson's departure as free agent. So translation, it had everything to do with all of those things. Nettles remained captain for two seasons before being traded to San Diego. And I think if you're willing to trade your captain, then he was probably not worthy of being named captain in the first place. In spring of 1986, Ron Guidry and Willie Randolph were named co-captains because they were the only two remaining players from the 70 championship teams. Both had been with the Yankees since the mid-70s. Guidry was drafted by the Yankees and remained with the team his whole career. And to that point, Willie Randolph was essentially a Yankee lifer. He debuted with Pittsburgh, but he was traded to the Yankees in 76. A New York Times article written the day after the announcement had a couple of interesting nuggets I wanted to point out. So Steinbrenner had been considering Randolph as captain back when he named Nettles, but he chose Nettles because he was a more veteran player, even though there was a running feud between them. The article from 1982 that I read made no mention of this feud between them. The other point was that Steinbrenner felt Munson and Nettles didn't take the position seriously enough at times. He picked Willie and Guidry because they were both serious guys and he felt they could do the job. He also liked the idea of having a pitcher and a position player tag teaming it. Both their tenures ended in 1989 when Guidry retired and Randolph signed with the Dodgers. The position was vacant for a year until Don Mattingly was named captain before the 91 season. Mattingly had just signed a contract through 1995, so they knew he'd be there for an extended period of time, and he was the team's best player in the 80s. For a team that really did not have much going for it in the early 90s, this was an obvious choice. Thinking about the post-Munson selections, it seemed kind of like Steinbrenner felt there needed to be a captain for the sake of having a captain. If we're comparing the position to the 1900 to 1920 times, then yeah, the selections that he made make sense. But if we're holding the position in some esteemed regard, like we do now, then Nettles, Guidry, and Randolph, and to a certain extent, even Mattingly, although I'm not sure I'm prepared to argue with people about this, probably didn't need to be named captain. And that was obviously not the case when Derek Jeter, who prior to being named captain, had already won four championships, five pennants, rookie of the year, all-star game, and World Series MVP, and he had signed a 10-year contract. Jeter was named captain on June 3rd, 2003. Now, the timing was a little odd because the Yankees were on the road in Cincinnati in the middle of a nine-game road trip, but Steinbrenner had his reasons. First of all, you can argue it took too long. Once players like Paul O'Neill and David Cohn left, there was no doubt that Jeter was the leader of the team. Also, was the middle of a road trip in Cincinnati honestly the right setting to do this for a player who had accomplished everything that I just mentioned? No. But 
Again, Steinbrenner had his reasons. During the 2002-2003 offseason, Steinbrenner publicly criticized Jeter for his partying, late hours, and questioned his focus. This obviously angered Jeter, but they settled their differences and then even did that Visa commercial, which spoofed their feud. Come on in, Derek. Derek, this is the postseason. I hear you're out dancing, eating, and just carousing with your friends. Is it true you're going out every night? Absolutely not. Good. If you want to enjoy the New York nightlife, bring your Visa card. Because Orso, Cheetah, and the Broom Street Bar don't take American Express. Hey, Derek, we are running late. It's everywhere you want so for starters, this was probably a way for Steinbrenner to smooth things over officially with Jeter. But the team had also been slumping. After a hot start in 2003, they played 393 baseball in May, and Steinbrenner wanted to wake them up. He said, I think he, Jeter, can hopefully pull them together. I think he can give them a little spark. I just felt it's the right time to do it. People may say, what a time to pick. Well, why not? He represents all that is good about a leader. I'm a great believer in history, and I look at all the other leaders down through Yankees history, and Jeter is right up there with them. Steinbrenner went on to say, I've always been very, very careful about giving such a responsibility to one of my players, but I cannot think of a single player that I have ever had who is more deserving of this honor than Derek Jeter. He's a young man of great character and has shown great leadership qualities. He believes, as I do, what General MacArthur said, that there's no substitute for victory. To him and to me, it's second only to breathing. So did the move wake them up? The Yankees lost the next two games, but pulled it together and went 20-7 and in June. Now, if you remember that season, Jeter actually got injured on opening day and did not return until May 13th. So the team's hot start in April was actually without Jeter, and their slump came when he returned. To me, it kind of seems like the team lost focus when he got there because they felt, okay, finally, our guy is back, our leader is back, we can take our foot off the gas. And obviously, that, that's not how things go. Another interesting storyline that I found reading the articles at the time was that Steinbrenner did not consult Joe Torre when he made this decision, and he had been questioning the effectiveness of Joe Torre and the coaching staff that year. The two had almost no contact all season to that point. A part of Steinbrenner's decision was so that Jeter could help lead the team because he didn't think Torrey was doing a good job. Torrey's response was, I don't see my job being any different as far as helping because I don't know what he, Jeter, could tell someone if they have a question to me. It can't be a negative, but I don't think players are going to listen to him more now that he's captain. He's always had that respect. Jeter wound up being the longest tenured Yankees captain, holding the position for 11 and a half seasons until he retired after the 2014 season. And he had this to say well after his retirement on the night that his number was retired for the Yankees about being a captain. I always looked at it as you had a responsibility to the organization, the fans, your teammates, the media. Uh, You had to handle yourself the right way. And you had to take the approach that um, every single day, whether it's the season or the off season, you're representing the New York Yankees. And I took that serious. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's when the boss called and said he wanted to name me captain, it was probably one of the best days of my baseball career. And, uh, you know, I took that role seriously. And, you know, I tried to set the tone for the rest of the guys, and I tried to do it in a professional manner. I think the big question is if Jeter will be the last Yankees captain. 
In 2015, Brian Cashman said he does not foresee any Yankee being named captain to replace Jeter. Now, I don't know if Cashman meant any player currently on the roster in 2015 or if he meant forever. Maybe he's of the opinion that the Yankees organization should never have another captain. But again, never say never. McCarthy said never after Garrick and look how that turned out. But I think Cashman's point was, is it really necessary to have an official captain? There's no specific duties that a captain has to do like there were in the early 1900s. They don't have to bring out the lineup card or anything like that. Hockey has a tradition of captains and football has offensive and defensive captains. They go out there for the coin toss, but baseball doesn't really have anything like that. It's really just a figurehead, a team leader. According to Wikipedia, and I'm not going any further than that on a wild goose chase like I did for the Yankee list, there are no official captains currently, and David Wright was the last in the league. Some historic franchises like the Cardinals haven't even had a captain since 1965. Teams like the Mariners and the Padres have never had a captain in team history. And some players choose to be tools and wear a C on their chest like Jason Veritek. I always hated him for that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. So I know Yankees fans always talk about, will Aaron Judge be the next captain? We get questions to the podcast all the time if Judge and when Judge will be named captain. And I I think it's a cool honor if you were to get that. And I'd be completely fine with a player like Judge being named captain. But I'm also totally fine if they just end it and they don't name anyone else captain. 
if you want to leave it with Jeter, there's I can't think of a better guy to leave the captaincy with than Derek Jeter, like it would have been with Gehrig or like it would have been with Munson. I really think it comes down to those three players, Gehrig, Jeter, and Munson, and their tenures and their status as a player. If you're going to name someone captain, make it be a status thing. Make it be of someone that fits those types of players. And, and maybe that's impossible because Lou Gehrig transcended baseball beyond even what people thought when he was just a great player because of Lou Gehrig's disease. Thurman Munson also had a tragic death, which unfortunately definitely elevated his status. And Jeter transcended baseball. He was a superstar, but he also won so much and he was so beloved and he was there so long. So it might be impossible to have the qualifications of those three guys, but it it really should be saved for rarefied air. And maybe Judge will achieve that. Maybe if he signs a long-term contract and he wins championships, I do think championships are required. That might be also tough because it's not entirely in his control, but I would have a hard time saying name Judge the captain if he doesn't even at least have one championship under his belt. Would Judge make a good captain? Yeah, he's got all the right elements going for him, but guess what? He can be a team leader even if he's not officially captain, just like Joe Torre said that Derek Jeter had before he was officially named captain. And there's always going to be players like Brett Gardner or like CC Sabathia or another veteran presence who's been there for a while that people are going to look to as a leader. Brett Gardner has been called by teammates as a captain figure, even with Judge on the team. Brett Gardner has been referred to that. So it, I just think you're going to have a collection of players Maybe you're going to have a judge or a Jeter type, which is really the face of the organization. And if you want to assign him captain, cool. But again, I'm okay if we end the captaincy and leave it with Jeter. I came across a few articles and blogs attempting to rank the Yankees captains by various different factors. For me, again, starts and ends with Garrick, Munson, and Jeter. It's those three you can throw out all the other statistics you want to about the other guys. It's, it's impossible to really know what the early, early guys did. Babe Ruth statistically was the best out of any of them, but he was captain for five days, so I'm not so sure that counts. The Yankees conversation, as far as captains go, really starts and ends with the big three, Garrick, Munson, and Jeter. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. 
mypatriotsupply.com.